We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 367 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. It is a day on which we could have one of the biggest, most significant trades in Washington, D.C. sports history. The MLB trade deadline is on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. We certainly expect the Nationals to sell and sell hard, but will the Nats sell? Juan Soto, that is the question. Uh, The Nats haven't traded Soto yet, at least as I am recording this. uh, Let's see, what time is it? Uh, 2.05 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Uh, Who knows? Maybe by the end of this opening segment of the show, Juan Soto will have been traded. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Now, the Nats on Monday did make a trade. Uh, A. Ray Adrianza, we hardly knew ye. Uh, Josh Bell certainly will be traded on Tuesday. A bunch more Nats probably will as well. But what's going to happen with Juan Soto? Uh, Well, if he is going to be traded on Tuesday, he went out as a Nat in style on Monday night. A very impressive all-around game, including a mammoth home run of ex-Nat Max Scherzer, though in a Nats loss, a 7-3 loss to the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. I'll go in-depth on the Nats coming up in a bit. Uh, Lots of Commanders talk on this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Guess who is back to not practicing? Yeah, you got it. Curtis Samuel. Hey, you didn't think that he'd actually be practicing for long, did you? Uh, Rod Rivera on Monday morning revealed some things about what's going on with Curtis Samuel that uh, were, shall we say, discouraging. I'm going to try not to overreact to all of this, but I'll talk about this next segment, as well as the commander situation at right guard. Uh, Trey Turner has been out with a quad injury. Is Wes Schweitzer going to end up being the team's starting right guard this season? Uh, I will talk Antonio Gibson. He on Monday morning practiced fully for the first time at 2022 Commander's training camp off having dealt with a hamstring injury. Gibson on Monday morning had some interesting things to say about where he's at in his career. Uh, Where are we 
with Antonio Gibson. It's tricky with him. You could argue that he's underrated. You could also argue that he is overrated. Uh, I'll attempt to make sense of things coming up. Uh, And I'll talk Commander's defense, which on Monday morning outplayed the Commander's offense by quite a bit, a lot of interceptions. Uh, Rod Rivera addressed how he feels the Commander's quarterbacks are doing so far in training camp and discussed various defensive backs, including the player who is having perhaps the best training camp of any Commander's player, Kendall Fuller. Oh, you'll hear all of this and more. Also on the show, the Orioles. Uh, They on Monday made a major trade. It traded Trey Mancini. Uh, Yeah, boom, boom, Mancini. Boom, boom has gone bye-bye. And if you're an O's fan, this is a good thing. And I don't in any way mean that as a shot at Mancini. I'll explain later in the show, as well as discuss another Orioles win, a 7-2 win at the Texas Rangers in a game in which Adley Rutschman, Cedric Mullins, and Ryan Mountcastle all did well. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of emails on the Juan Soto situation and the mega trade that could be coming for that. Uh, Email from Mike P. My thoughts on the Soto dilemma. I personally don't think that a team paying a player $400 plus million when that team, with or without the player, is going nowhere, really is a smart move. If the Nats are truly in a rebuild, then they need to fully commit to being in a rebuild. I would trade Soto now. I would trade him to a team with a farm system that is really good, uh, from which I could get a starting pitcher to come along with other top prospects, except the rebuild. Be bad for the next few seasons, progress these young players, and save the money that you would have paid to Soto and get talent elsewhere. All I know is I'm happy to have witnessed the World Series because the direction that I'm seeing this team go in, who knows when the next World Series will be. Uh, Thank you. For the email, Mike. Uh, Email from another Mike, Michael King. I was thinking about Soto. I am sad about the current state of the Nationals. Also sad that Soto is likely unsignable by anybody at this point. Scott Boris seems determined to take Soto to free agency. Boris also says that he works for his clients and not the other way around. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. But there is my problem with Juan Soto. If he and Boris want to play this game, then so be it. If the goal is eventual free agency then so be it. Soto was upset that the Nationals apparently revealed the details of the declined offer and then at the All-Star Game said that he was uncomfortable with all of the trade talk. Well, what's it going to be, Juan? This is how the big boy game is played. So while I am very concerned with the state of the Nationals, I am also a little irritated with Soto. If he is unsignable, the Nats must trade him now and maximize the return. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Uh, A lot of good points being made here. To me, there are two major unknowns in the Juan Soto situation. A, is he really, truly unsignable, or does he just want a ton of money? Like, is there really, truly no number that would get him to say yes to a contract extension? I have a hard time believing that. I do believe that that number exists. Uh, B, the Nats ownership situation. Are the learners, in fact, selling the entirety of their ownership? Or is it possible that the learners are only taking on new minority investors? Uh, when will the sale be completed? And will the new ownership be bold and aggressive to where it makes Juan Soto an offer 
that he can't refuse. Uh, We don't know enough about these two topics, the true unsignability of Juan Soto and the Nats' ownership situation. And these are two very important topics when trying to figure out whether the Nats should trade Juan Soto right now. Given what we do know, uh, my approach would be to complete the sale of the team, presumably by this offseason, let new ownership take a crack at trying to sign Soto to a contract extension, and then reevaluate where the Soto situation is at. Uh, the Nats could always trade Soto this coming offseason, and I'm not convinced that the haul that the Nats would get back for Soto this offseason would be that much less than the haul that the Nats would get back for Soto right now. I am normally not a major champion of signing baseball players to mega money contracts because so few of these mega money contracts work out. But if you're going to make an exception to the rule of not signing players to mega money contracts, Soto is a player for whom you make the exception. Uh, He is young. He is durable. He is elite. He is a good teammate. He is marketable. I mean, all of those things matter a lot. And don't discount that final item, marketable. Uh, There is an economic value to having Juan Soto that on its own could be worth millions of dollars per year to the Nats. Uh, Email from Dr. CCB on Carson Wentz of something that a recent guest, Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network, said on the podcast. I had Ian on episode 360, writes the good doctor. I wanted to make sure that I heard the interviewee correctly. Pro Football Network's Ian Wharton mentioned that Carson Wentz struggles with reading defenses. I think that took me by surprise because I had never heard that criticism of Wentz. After having been in the league since 2016 and the successful years that he had with the Eagles, I would think that that would not have been a glaring obstacle. Do you have any insight on that statement that Ian made? Uh, Thank you for the email, Dr. CCB. So Carson Wentz's 2020 season is one of the worst seasons that any starting quarterback has had in recent NFL history. Uh, Carson had a lot of problems that season, including reading defenses. Carson's 2020 season was a mess. If I had to itemize the biggest on-the-field concerns with Carson, though, I don't think that reading defenses would be up there. Uh, The biggest on-the-field concerns with Carson in no particular order are his inaccuracy, his taking of sacks, and his tendency to throw these like mind-numbingly bad interceptions. Uh, Now, he doesn't necessarily throw a lot of interceptions, but he seems to have thrown more than his share of really bad interceptions. Uh, Now, could not being great at reading defenses be part of some or all of the things that I just went through? Sure. Uh, But I don't know that Carson's biggest problem has been not understanding what he's seeing. I think that his biggest problem has been his decision-making. One of the more interesting occurrences during the offseason to me was Ron Rivera emphasizing Carson Wentz needing to make good decisions. I don't think that Ron was just saying that. I think that that's a big emphasis for Ron with Carson, make good decisions. Well, the law firm of Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions. Heck, maybe Paulson and Nace can help Carson Wentz make good decisions on the field. But if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. 
Paulson and NASA treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and NACE will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and NACE is excellent at what it does. Paulson and NACE has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Anova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, you can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So if you are familiar with the movie Jerry Maguire, you perhaps remember the scene in which Jerry Maguire, a.k.a. Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Tom Tom, uh, uh, is leaving his job and says that he isn't going to flip out but then actually, essentially, flips out. Uh, here you go. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do, which is just flip out! Yeah, the flip out scene from the movie Jerry Maguire. That's how I feel right now as a Commanders fan with receiver Curtis Samuel. And actually, this is pretty appropriate because, as you may recall, Tom Cruise and our Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder have had an association. Uh, August 2006, Dan Snyder and other investors signed a deal to provide financing to a production company that was run by Tom Cruise. And there was a famous scene of Dan, Tom, and Tom's then-wife, Katie Holmes, at a Redskins-Minnesota Vikings game at FedEx Field in week one of the 2006 season. But I digress uh, with Curtis Samuel. So yeah, I recognize that training camp is just getting going. Uh, Monday was just day six of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. I recognize that you shouldn't overreact to things in training camp period, especially things early in training camp. But given what happened with Curtis Samuel last season, how do you not at least wonder about, if not get annoyed by, what is going on with Curtis right now? Uh, So Washington in March 2021 signed Curtis Samuel as an unrestricted free agent. He got a three-year, $34.5 million contract with $21.5 million guaranteed at signing. But Curtis in the 2021 regular season played in just five of Washington's 17 games due to the most nagging groin injury in the history of nagging groin injuries. Uh, Now, he had been practicing at Commander's training camp. He had actually been looking pretty good at Commander's training camp. But Curtis Samuel on Monday morning was working on a side field of having been rather limited in each of the commander's previous two full training camp practices, uh, those on last Friday morning and last Saturday morning. And I say full training camp practices because the commanders are conducting afternoon walkthroughs. The schedule has been morning practice 
afternoon walkthrough. Uh, and yes, I did say <laughs> that Curtis Samuel on uh, Monday morning was working on a side field, his home away from home. Uh, the phrase Curtis Samuel is working on a side field was typed and said about a million times last year. Uh, one of the side fields at the team facility at Ashburn, Virginia should be renamed Curtis Samuel Sidefield, uh, like RFK Stadium, Curtis Samuel Sidefield. Uh, anyway, check this out from Commander's head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning on what's going on with Curtis Samuel. And you'll hear Ron reference the commander's head athletic trainer, Al Bellamy. Well, the real good thing with it is more so than anything else is this is all about the plan. You know, we, we came out the first couple of days, got a chance to really look at him. I know he and, he and Al talked a little bit and there was some concern as far as just his overall football conditioning and shape. You know, you can, you can train all you want, you can condition all you want, but coming back and, and doing some of the things that we want him to do, we got to be smart with it. Al and, uh, and his guys have, 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 have a plan, um, and so with Curtis, Curtis we're going to stick to the plan. All right, so Ron Rivera right there revealing that Curtis Samuel's, quote, overall football conditioning and shape, end quote, are issues right now. Uh, well, golly gee, isn't that great? Uh, now, Ron emphasized that there is a plan and that the commanders are sticking to the plan. But per Ron, Curtis's, quote, overall football conditioning and shape, end quote, are issues right now. Was this expected with Curtis that he would have to be handled carefully due to conditioning issues of not having played much last season? More from Ron on Monday morning. I think more so than anything else, it was about seeing where he was when we got him back those first couple of days and just listening to him and honestly him talking about you know his hamstrings and lower back being sore and tight. One of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we brought him back the right way. So they've put a plan together. They've, they've sat down. They went over it with Curtis yesterday, uh, and they're implementing it now. And what will happen is you'll see there'll be ramp-ups, and then they'll, they'll slow it back down. There'll be ramp-ups. There'll be times when he's interacting, getting you know some of the 11-on-11 work, stuff like that. But it's all part of the plan you know, with the ultimate goal is really the regular season more than it is anything else. This has nothing to do with last year's groin injury or anything like that. This is just about the plan for him specifically. Okay, so Curtis Samuel's hamstrings and lower back have been sore. Gee, the Curtis Samuel news just keeps getting better and better. The hits just keep on coming. Like Jerry Maguire said, I'm not going to flip out, but let me flip out. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do, which is just flip out. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Uh, look, I'm being facetious, sort of. You know, Monday was August 1st. Yes, the Commander's regular season opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field isn't until September 11th. We need to pace ourselves, no doubt. But of course, given what happened with Curtis Samuel last season, it is impossible to see him not consistently practicing and now learn that his conditioning is an issue and that he's dealing with sore hamstrings and a sore lower back. And not wonder. I mean, you're not overreacting if you're asking some questions right now about what exactly is going on with Curtis Samuel. It was good to hear Ron Rivera say that what's going on with Curtis Samuel has nothing to do with last year's groin injury. But at the same time, this is the same team that hid that Curtis in June 2021 underwent core muscle surgery. So you don't know what to believe. Uh, again, though, Monday was only day six of 2022 commander's training camp. So I suppose 
that we should all remain calm. Uh, the commanders on day five of training camp Sunday did not practice. The commanders on day seven of training camp Tuesday most certainly will practice because it is on Tuesday that the commanders are set to conduct their first padded practice of 2022 commanders training camp. Uh, Things on Tuesday are set to get especially physical. Uh, This was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning on if there is a position group that he's especially looking forward to watching during Tuesday's padded practice. Well, we got a group of young safeties, a, a solid group of, of, of young linebackers that we have to really look into and, and, and try to have a very good feel within a week. And just, I think this, this will be a very important week for us as far as those group of guys are concerned. I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're veteran in, in, in the fronts, offensive and defensive lines to a degree. Um, we got a group of young sa- uh, tight ends that we have to see as well. You know, because again, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make sure we bring, we bring John Bates back at, at, at the right time as well. Yeah, tight end John Bates has not been practicing lately due to injury. Another notable commander's offensive player who has not been practicing due to injury is guard Trey Turner. Uh, he's dealing with a quad injury. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on where we're at with Trey Turner. Trey's just, you know, again, he... Um, a little bit of a quad, and so what we're trying to do is, you know, bring him back, work him through it. He's a veteran guy, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things you, you can't, you know, you, you got to be very, very diligent on that with, with veteran guys. Uh, yes, you do. Uh, the 2022 season will be Trey Turner's age 29 season. The Commanders this past May 2nd announced the signing of Turner as an unrestricted free agent. The timing of the signing was notable as it was on May 2nd at 4 p.m. Eastern that every unrestricted free agent signing by an NFL team no longer counted against the team's compensatory draft pick formula. So there was a strategy in terms of when the Commanders signed Trey Turner. Uh, Trey Turner is a certified member of of the Carolina Mafia. Uh, he is a certified commander. Uh, the Carolina Panthers took Trey Turner in the third round of the 2014 NFL Draft out of LSU. He played for the Panthers for six seasons, 2014 through 2019. So Trey Turner played for Ron Rivera during his time as Panthers head coach. Ron was Panthers head coach from January 2011 to December 2019. And Trey Turner played for Commander's offensive line coach John Matsko during his time as Panthers offensive line coach. Matsko was the Panthers offensive line coach from 2011 through 2015 and was their running game coordinator from 2016 through 2019, working with Ron Rivera for the entirety of his tenure as Panthers head coach. Uh, Trey Turner, during his time with the Panthers, made the Pro Bowl in each of five consecutive seasons, 2015 through 2019. However, Turner's career has fallen off over the last two seasons. So the Panthers, in March 2020, traded at Turner to the Los Angeles Chargers for left tackle Russell Okun. But Turner, in the 2020 regular season for the Chargers, played in just nine games due to a groin injury. His overall grade for pro football focus for the 2020 regular season was a horrendous 34.8. Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. The Chargers in March 2021 released Turner. Uh, Turner in June 2021 signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers as an unrestricted free agent. He in the 2021 regular season for the Steelers started all 17 of their games, but he in the 2021 regular season for Pro Football Focus had an overall grade of 69.4 and allowed seven sacks. And Turner in the 2021 regular season committed six penalties, and he was a part of a Steelers offensive line that was not good. Uh, The Steelers 
for the 2021 regular season, finished number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 49% and finished number 30 out of 32 NFL teams in team run block win rate per ESPN at 67%. So there hasn't been a lot to like with Trey Turner over the last two seasons. And so when you take that into consideration and then you add the fact that Turner's missing time right now due to this quad injury, uh, I do wonder if we're going to see Wes Schweitzer emerge as the commander's starting right guard uh, and not Trey Turner. Uh, That is a notable position battle to be watching here, Trey Turner versus Wes Schweitzer at right guard. Uh, Another commander, Andrew Norwell, is set to be the commander's starting left guard. Uh, Right guard, though, may well be in play. Uh, Of course, Washington's starting right guard for each of the last seven seasons, 2015 through 2021, was Brandon Sheriff, Uh, but he now is gone. Uh, Sheriff in March signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars as an unrestricted free agent. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on how the commander's offensive line will do without Brandon Sheriff. Well, I, 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 I think it's really about the, the sum of the five pieces, more so than it is anything else. And that's what it was for us last year. Brand, don't get me wrong, Brandon's a great player. And, and it is hard to replace a, that caliber player. But again, you know, it is a collective and, and it is about the five guys. Yeah, and something that Washington has done really well with in terms of the offensive line over Ron Rivera's two seasons as a team's head coach, and John Matsko's two seasons as a team's offensive line coach, is have the whole of the offensive line be greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, Washington, over the last two seasons, has dealt with a lot in the way of injury on the offensive line, and yet still, the team's offensive lines have ranked very well. Uh, Washington finished the 2021 regular season number nine in the NFL in team pass block win rate per ESPN at 63%. Number one in the NFL in team run block win rate per ESPN at 75%. And number six in overall offensive line play for pro football focus. And keep this in mind with Brandon Sheriff. He missed a lot of games, okay? Washington already has been having to replace Sheriff for years. Brandon Sheriff from the 2018 season through the 2021 season missed a total of 22 regular season games. So he, over his final four seasons with Washington, played in just 43 of a possible 65 regular season games. So when people talk about, well, what now for Washington? No more Brandon Sheriff. I'm like, uh, gee, have you been paying attention? We've been without Brandon Sheriff a good bit for years now. Uh, Now, unlike Brandon Sheriff, running back Antonio Gibson has not missed many games for Washington, but Gibson has been banged up quite a bit, uh, including nursing a hamstring injury at the beginning of 2022 Commander's training camp. Uh, We on Monday morning, though, had Gibson fully practicing for the first time during 2022 Commander's training camp, and we heard from Gibson at a post-practice press conference during which he addressed a variety of topics regarding his career. Uh, I'll get to all of that after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, more now from 2022 Commanders Training Camp on Monday. We had some good injury news. Uh, running back Antonio Gibson on Monday morning participated in team drills for the first time at 2022 Commanders Training Camp. Uh, Gibson is coming off a hamstring injury with which he dealt during the offseason program. He, at training camp, had practiced on a limited basis, but he, on Monday morning, was a true full participant in practice. Uh, Gibson on Monday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on whether he was good with the cautious approach that head coach Rod Rivera took with Gibson in not having him fully practice at training camp until day six. Definitely. That's not something you want to re-enter and then you back to square one. So um, follow coach's plan, the trainer's plan, and um, it's working out. And hopefully the plan continues to work out. There is concern with Antonio Gibson's health. There has to be. He is banged up a lot. I really believe that that is a big reason for why the commanders took a running back in Brian Robinson Jr. in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Although, in fairness to Gibson, he doesn't miss games, at least not many. Uh, Gibson, in his 2020 rookie regular season, played in 14 of Washington's 16 games. He, in December 2020, missed two games due to a turf toe injury. Gibson, in the 2021 regular season, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games. And the only game that he missed was due to COVID. Uh, He was on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 31st to January 5th. But Gibson, during the 2021 regular season, dealt with a shin injury, a rib injury, and a toe injury. And his efficiency numbers weren't particularly good. So just because he was playing in all of these games doesn't mean that he was at his best in all of these games. And that's the thing. Antonio Gibson had a mixed 2021 season. And that, I believe, is another reason that the commanders drafted Brian Robinson Jr. There certainly were positives for Gibson last season. Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number six in the NFL in rushing yards at 1,037. He became the first Washington player to have at least 1,000 rushing yards in a regular season since running back Adrian Peterson in 2018. Uh, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number four in the NFL in rushing attempts at 258. He, during Washington's four-game winning streak, weeks 10 through 13, totaled 95 carries. Uh, That works out to 23.75 carries per game. Washington, during its best stretch of the season, leaned on Gibson quite a bit. And how about this? Gibson, through his first two NFL regular seasons, 2020 and 2021, 21 rushing slash receiving touchdowns, the most rushing slash receiving touchdowns for a Washington player over his first two NFL regular seasons ever. Uh, Not bad for a converted receiver who really hasn't been that much of a pass catcher for Washington so far. But there were undeniable negatives with Antonio Gibson last season. Of course, the fumbling. Uh, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season at number one among all running backs in the NFL 
in fumbles at six. Uh, Gibson's advanced stats were not that great. He finished the 2021 regular season just at number 23 out of 50 qualified running backs in the NFL in Football Outsiders' success rate at 52%. Uh, and Gibson finished the 2021 regular season just number 38 out of 50 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing DVOA for Football Outsiders at minus 6.8%. Antonio Gibson on Monday morning on what he's hoping to show this coming season. Um, just the confidence. Um, it's year three. Feel like I, I got the reps that I needed these past two years. I made the mistakes that I, you know, I'd have made and I learned from it. And, um, I just feel confident going there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed out there. I know what I'm doing. So it feels good. It feels real good. So Antonio Gibson mentioned mistakes from which he has learned. Uh, what mistakes specifically was he talking about? Just the miss, the miss holes sometimes, you know, um, when I could have just, you know, kept running straight, I kind of bounce out and that's my big play mindset. But um, I've learned uh, in the league, you know, sometimes it's just good to hit it and run. And um, I feel like I've been correcting that. Um, I've been practicing it here at OTAs and in the offseason. So um, that's something I'm really looking forward to instead of, you know, going east and west, getting north and south. And uh, I feel like that'll help my game out a lot. And, uh, you know, those break, tack- them, to break tackles and them big plays. All right. So you heard Antonio Gibson reference missed holes. Uh, Gibson's vision has become a topic of debate. Uh, There are people who believe that Gibson has good vision. In fact, I, in recent weeks, have had multiple guests on the podcast who have advocated for Antonio Gibson's vision. Uh, Ian Wharton of Pro Football Network on episode 360. And my pal, Kevin Sheehan, host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast on episode 361. But the metrics do tell a different story. Uh, Antonio Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number 22 out of 52 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing yards over expected per attempt at 0.6. Rushing yards over expected is a metric from the NFL's next-gen stats. Uh, Also, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season just number 37 out of 52 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing efficiency for the NFL's next-gen stats. Uh, Rushing efficiency is calculated by taking the total distance that a player traveled on rushing plays as a ball carrier according to next-gen stats per rushing yards gained. And the idea is the lower the number, the more of a north-south runner that the player is. Uh, Gibson, again, finished 37th out of 52 qualified running backs in rushing efficiency for the 2021 regular season. So the commanders certainly seem to think that Gibson hasn't been rushing for all of the yards that have been blocked for him. And Gibson himself seems to concur, at least to some extent. Uh, Antonio Gibson has toned up. His body fat percentage has dropped by a good bit. Gibson on Monday morning on what he hopes that this change in his body composition uh, will mean for him this coming season. Um, mostly, I uh, just wanted to l- eliminate the injuries. Um, I've been battling with that for two years. Nothing major, but um, enough to where it hold me back a little bit. Uh, you know, this year my goal is to get through the season injury free, um, and that'd be that'd be my biggest goal right there, just to play a healthy season. Um, I feel like that help out a lot. But the explosiveness, of course, if you lighter, you know, you more tone fit. Uh, you get in out of cuts quicker. You know, you can go the distance. Yeah, a lot of nagging injuries for Antonio Gibson so far in his NFL career. Here's something else to be thinking about with Gibson. Are we this coming season finally going to see him be more of a factor 
on third downs. Uh, now, he, in the 2021 regular season, did play more on third downs as compared to in his 2020 rookie regular season. Antonio Gibson, in the 2020 regular season, incredibly, had just 11 third down touches. That was it. And they were productive touches. He had eight third down carries for 55 yards and two touchdowns. That works out to 6.88 yards per carry. And he had three third down receptions for 47 yards on three targets. Uh, Now, Gibson in the 2021 regular season had 31 third down touches, uh, three receptions, and 28 carries. Gibson not having done more on third downs for Washington certainly has been due in no small part to the team having a good third down running back and J.D. McKissick. But part of the why uh, also has been Gibson being perceived as a liability in pass protection. Gibson on Monday morning on how he has grown in pass protection. Pass pro, um, a lot. Um, from my first, from my first game, uh, kind of like not even knowing a protection for real, um, and then to actually get in the game and like seeing everybody run around, and then I had to learn about disguising. Um, I'm confident. Uh, you know, I could pick it up real quick now. I know when somebody's stacked, it might be coming and things of that nature. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the process, but I feel like I'm there, for sure. And good to hear that. Big season coming up for Antonio Gibson. All right. Well, Monday morning's commander's training camp practice was yet another practice during which the commander's defense had its way uh, with the commander's offense. A lot of interceptions on Monday morning, including, yes, uh, more than a few picks from quarterback Carson Wentz. The commander's defense dominated last Thursday morning's practice, and the defense, again, looked very good during Monday morning's practice. Uh, What does this mean? Who knows? I mean, it's not like the commander's offense is doing nothing during these training camp practices, but in two of the last four full commander's training camp practices now, the defense has bested the offense. Uh, Commander's head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning on whether he's comfortable with the commander's quarterback play so far in training camp. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, part of it is you got to understand what we got going on out there. You know, only one guy really has a lot of experience on what we do and how we do it. With, with Carson, with, with, with Sam, with Cole, it's about learning and understanding the concepts, learning and understanding the progression of your reads, and then decision-making. So as we go through this, you know, you, you feel good as long as you start seeing decisions being made the way they need to. Um, and then when you listen in on, on the conversations they're having in the meetings and you, you hear them, hey, why did you do this? I went from here to here to here, and that's why. And you feel good about those explanations. Or every now and then, maybe, oh, no, you, yeah, you get off that once you read this and go right to here. Those are things that they're all learning right now. Yeah, the Commanders have four quarterbacks at training camp. Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, Sam Howell, and Cole Kelly. Uh, Don't forget about Cole Kelly. Uh, The Commanders in May signed him as an undrafted free agent. Cole Kelly played for Arkansas for two seasons, 2017 and 2018, and then transferred to Southeastern Louisiana University. He is a quarterback monster. Uh, Cole Kelly at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being 6'7 and 3 eighths of an inch and 249 pounds. But what about this commander's pass defense? Uh, It was very bad last season. Hopefully will be much better this coming season. Certainly should be much better this coming season. I talked a good bit about that on this past Friday show, episode 365. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on what he's seeing from young commander safeties, Percy Butler and Derek Forrest. Well, you know, what you're seeing is you're seeing a... um 
um, a guy's grasping what we're doing quickly. Uh, it, it was a really good spring for our, our, our secondary, um, you know, and, and they picked up right where they left off, and, and, and I'm very pleased with that. So things appear to be going well for Percy Butler and Derek Forrest, but the commander's player who seems to be having the best training camp so far is corner Kendall Fuller. Uh, Fuller has really been standing out. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on Fuller. Well, first of all, he's got a very good athletic football sk uh, skill set, and, and that, that's a really good thing. Now you, you, you couple that with, with really being a smart football player, uh, a very headsy guy that, that's got a tremendous amount of anticipation, and he's got, he's got a chance to make plays. He really does, and, you know, and he's having a really good camp right now. Yes, he is. Uh, you know, Kendall Fuller ended up having a good 2021 season. He, like a lot of Washington defensive players, did not get off to a great start in the 2021 season. But Fuller, for the 2021 regular season, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games and registered an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of 81.5. Uh, that's good. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. The commander secondary is talented. Talent is not the issue for the pass defense. Corners Kendall Fuller and William Jackson the third. Safeties Cameron Curl and Bobby McCain. These guys all have shown that they can play well. Uh, speaking of Cameron Curl, uh, he did a post-practice press conference on Monday morning. Here he was on why the commander secondary is having a good training camp so far. Um, just flying around, you know, just uh, being where the ball is. You know, that's like what we want to do. We want to create turnovers for the offense. So just being out here and be able to fly around uh, and be comfortable with the defense like that gives us that, you know, extra, extra gear, you know, to play faster. Yeah, and while we're talking commander's defense, guess who was out there serving as a coach for the commanders on Monday morning? Ryan Kerrigan. Yeah, the recently retired Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, he, during his retirement press conference this past Saturday morning, said that he was interested in getting into coaching. Uh, well, Ron Rivera now is giving Kerrigan a taste of NFL coaching. Uh, here was Ron on Monday morning. Well, what, what we've done, and, and Ryan came and specifically talked about wanting to, to see if, if coaching is something that, that's possibly in the future. And so he said, hey, look, let's put together a little bit of an idea, give you a couple of weeks to kind of go through it, see what the grind is all about, um, see if it, if it works for you. Um, you know, I told him one of the things that I did when I first retired, it took me about a year and a half before I decided I really wanted to get into coaching. Um, and so, you know, this is something that you jump straight from retirement into coaching. So he, he wanted to get a feel for it. We're going to give him, you know, a couple of weeks and, and then we'll reassess and reevaluate and see where he is. All right. So does Ryan Kerrigan have an official title with the commanders? Not necessarily, not right now. I mean, this, this is still kind of the learning and understanding, you know, but he is working specifically with the defensive line, specifically with the defensive ends. You know, you see him put his arm around a couple of the young guys, talk with Montez about a couple of things. So it's good to see him interacting. Um, and we'll see how he is uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, cool to see Ron Rivera giving Ryan Kerrigan this opportunity right away. Plenty of great NFL players have become successful coaches. Arguably the best receiver in Redskins history, Charlie Taylor, was the Skins receivers coach from 1981 through 1993. So he was the Skins receivers coach for the entirety of the glory days uh, during Joe Gibbs' first in as Skins head coach. Charlie Taylor, in fact, worked for the Skins from 1964 through 1993 as a player scout 
and receivers coach. Uh, he was a part of all five Redskins teams that made Super Bowls. Uh, Charlie Taylor was a receiver on the 1972 NFC champion Redskins and was the receivers coach for the 1982, 83, 87, and 91 NFC champion skins. So yeah, I mean, just because you were a really good player doesn't mean that you can't also be a really good coach. And maybe that ends up happening with Ryan Kerrigan. Well, it's funny how baseball can work. We on Monday night at Nationals Park had reason for why the Nats should not trade star right fielder Juan Soto. And we had reason for why the Nats should trade Juan Soto. Uh, Tuesday is the day on which we will find out whether the Nats are trading Soto this season. The 2022 MLB trade deadline is on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. A number of trades already have happened, including a trade by the Nats. But Juan Soto, as of the taping of this installment of the Al Galdi podcast, early Tuesday morning, remains on the Nats. Uh, The Nats on Monday night lost to the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park 7-3 in game one of a three-game series. Soto had a big game. Uh, He has the Nats starting right fielder and number three batter went one for one with a solo homer and three walks. Andy had a stolen base. Andy had an outfield assist. Uh, Not bad. Uh, Soto in the Nats one run first drew a two-out six-pitch walk. Soto in the Mets three-run second throughout Tomas Nito at home plate for the third out on a Starling Marte, two out bases loaded, opposite field RBI single to right field for a 3-1 Mets lead. Soto fired a bullet to catcher K-Bert Ruiz. Soto in the Nats two-run fourth smashed a leadoff homer to dead center field off ex-Nat Max Scherzer to cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. The homer was a moonshot when it projected 421 feet per stat cast. Soto in the bottom of the fifth drew a two-out seven-pitch walk. Soto in the bottom of the eighth drew a leadoff six-pitch walk and had a stolen base. Uh, Juan Soto on Monday night played like a superstar, played like a player worthy of hundreds of millions of dollars. And if this was his final game as a Nat, uh, what a game it was. But at the same time, the Nats lost the game. Uh, 7-3 was the final. Uh, The game wasn't close. Uh, As I have said, one player in baseball, even a great player, can only mean so much. Uh, The Nats now in the 2022 regular season are a major league worst 35-69 with a major league worst run differential of minus 172. As good as Soto is, he can only do so much. And so you could use Monday night as reason for the Nats not to trade Juan Soto, and you could use Monday night as reason for the Nats to trade Juan Soto. Will the Nats trade Juan Soto? Who knows? Uh, MLB insider John Heyman of the New York Post on Monday night reported the following, quote, folks around the Nats whisper that their 23-year-old Juan Soto remains likely to be moved by 6 p.m. on Tuesday, whereupon history can begin judging whether the Nats got enough for a player who projects to become an all-time great and is under control for three more playoff runs through 2024. That the Nats feel the need to move Soto is a real downer for a team that won the World Series only three years ago. The better news is that three serious contending teams, the Padres, Dodgers, and Cardinals, all with stockpiles of young, talented players, are in the bidding. All three are in. It should be an exciting 24 hours. One Nats-connected person 
said Monday, end quote. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there is very much a chance that Juan Soto has played his final game as a Nat. Uh, we shall see. We certainly expect a number of other Nats to be traded on Tuesday. Uh, first baseman Josh Bell, D.H. Nelson Cruz, relievers Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., and Steve Ciszek, and others all could be gone by Tuesday's MLB trade deadline. Uh, Bell and Cruz are slam dunks to be gone, although I suppose that it's possible that no other team will want Cruz. Uh, Josh Bell on Monday night as the Nats starting first baseman at number four batter. One for four with a double. Uh, Bell in the Nats one run first, a two-out double down the right field line. Juan Soto on the play scored for a one nothing Nats lead. Now Bell for the play uh, did not get an RBI. Uh, Soto scored via a throwing error by Mets right fielder Starling Marte, but still, that was a nice hit by Bell. Uh, Nelson Cruz on Monday night was the Nats starting DH and number six batter. He was demoted uh, beyond the number five spot. Interesting that Nats manager Davey Martinez did that in what very well may have been Cruz's final game as a Nat. Uh, Cruz on Monday night, one for four with a single. Uh, he in a Nats two-run fourth had a one-out first pitch opposite field single through the right side of the infield. Uh, the Nats for the game scored just three runs, totaled just six hits and three walks, went just one for five with runners in scoring position. Uh, Luis Garcia did have two hits. He is an ad starting shortstop and number seven batter went two for four with an RBI single, another single, and two strikeouts. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, two-run fourth, a one-out first pitch, opposite field RBI single to left field to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-3, and Garcia in the bottom of the sixth had a two-out single to right field. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Mets' starting pitcher was, yes, the ex-Nat, Max Scherzer. Uh, Max on Monday night, three runs, two earned in six and two-thirds innings, five strikeouts. He was not dominant, uh, but he was a lot better than the Nats' starting pitcher on Monday night, Patrick Corbin. Uh, yes, our old pal, Corby, was on the mound pitching on Monday night, and uh, he got ripped again. Uh, Patrick Corbin struggled for a fifth consecutive start. Corbin on Monday night, four runs in four into third innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, and six singles. He issued a walk and a hit by pitch. He recorded four strikeouts. He over his four into third innings through 90 pitches. Uh, Corbin in the top of the second allowed three runs on five singles and a walk. You talk about death by a thousand paper cuts, a three-run second in which you give up five singles and a walk. And among the many singles in that inning was a two-out infield single by Brandon Nimmo on a one-two pitch as he hit a tapper between Corbin and catcher Bear Ruiz. And Corbin, and not Ruiz for some reason, fielded the ball and the Nats fielding of the play developed too slowly, resulting in Nimmo being ruled safe at first upon replay review. This was not a good defensive moment for the Nats, who have had way too many bad defensive moments uh, this season. Corbin, in the top of the third, gave up a homer, a one-out first pitch, solo homer by Pete Alonso to left field on a line drive home run for a 4-1 Mets lead. The homer had an exit velocity of 110.9 miles per hour for StatCast. Uh, Patrick Corbin now, in this 2022 regular season, over 22 starts, has a major league worst ERA of 657 and a major league worst whip of 177. Yes, he ranks dead last among all qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA and whip. And if you look at the rankings, it's not even close. Like Corbin is dead last, and then the next worst guy is actually quite a bit better than Corbin is. Uh, you really cannot overstate how bad of a season 
that Corbin is having. Ain't no way that the Nats should use the Juan Soto trade chip as a means of getting rid of Corbin. If the Nats are going to trade Soto, get back a truckload of stud prospects. Don't lessen Soto's trade value by attaching Corbin to Soto in a trade package, please. Uh, The Nats bullpen on Monday night was spotty. Five Nats relievers combined to allow three runs in four and two-thirds innings. Andres Machado was charged with a run in one and a third innings. Steve Ciszek, who had been pitching well and potentially had emerged as a trade chip, uh, he was really bad on Monday night. He got charged with two runs and recorded just one out. Uh, Ciszek, in a Mets three-run sixth, issued a two-out hit-by-pitch of Starling Marte, then gave up a two-out three-run opposite field home run to Francisco Lindor to left center field for a 7-3 Mets lead. And then Ciszek issued a walk, a two-out five-pitch walk of Pete Alonso. Uh, Ciszek, when he's on, can be good, but when he's off, he is really off, and he was really off on Monday night. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez tossed a scoreless top of the seventh. Victor Rano tossed a scoreless top of the eighth. Hunter Harvey tossed a perfect top of the ninth. And so now we await what goes down on Tuesday, what is a big day for the Nats. Uh, The Nats on Monday did make a trade. Uh, The Nats on Monday morning traded their super utility man, A. Ray Adrianza, uh, to the Atlanta Braves for outfielder Trey Harris. Uh, Harris was the Braves' number 29 prospect per MLB pipeline. The Braves took him in the 32nd round of the 2018 MLB draft out of the University of Missouri this season is Harris's age 26 season. Uh, Harris was actually the winner of the Atlanta Braves 2019 Hank Aaron Award, which is presented annually to the top offensive player in the Atlanta Braves minor league system. But Harris this season had an OPS of just 661 for the AA Mississippi Braves. Uh, Trey Harris certainly is not some blue chip prospect, but whatever, he's something. And something is better than nothing especially when you're talking about trading a guy in A. Ray Adrianza, who is a pending free agent and is an older player and, from a Nats perspective, was a road to nowhere. The Nats signed Adrianza as a free agent this past March. This season is his age 32 season. Uh, Adrianza did not make his 2022 Major League regular season debut for the Nats until this past June 8th. Uh, He suffered a left quadriceps strain in an exhibition game this past March 31st and ended up missing a lot of time. Uh, He did spend the 2021 season with the Atlanta Braves. They wanted him back and now he is back with the Braves and good for the Nats for turning Adrianza into something. Because again, something is better than nothing, especially when you are rebuilding as the Nats are. Now, the Nats on Monday afternoon selected the contract of infielder Ildemaro Vargas from AAA Rochester. Uh, Vargas essentially is the Nats' A. Ray Adrianza replacement. And this is instructive. So the Nats signed Vargas as a free agent this past May. This season is Vargas's age 30 season. And that says a lot. Like, this is what the Nats have at AAA right now. A guy in his age 30 season and a guy who is a journeyman. Uh, Vargas has played at the major league level for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, he is versatile. Uh, Vargas at the major league level has played a number of positions, second base, third base, shortstop, first base, left field, and right field. But the point here is this is what the Nats have at AAA right now. Uh, A guy like Vargas age 30 season journeyman. The state of the Nats farm system is such that the likes of Ildemaro Vargas are at AAA Rochester. Game two for the Nats against the Mets at Nationals Park is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher.
Well, whereas we are still waiting on the biggest trades for the Nationals prior to the 2022 MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, the Orioles may well have already made their biggest trade of the season. You know, the O's have been a tricky team to peg with the trade deadline in terms of who exactly they'll end up trading, but for months, the expectation had been that they would trade outfielder, first baseman Trey Mancini, and on Monday afternoon, the O's did just that. Uh, The O's on Monday afternoon traded Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros in a three-way trade that also included the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, The O's received two pitchers, Seth Johnson from the Tampa Bay Rays and Chase McDermott from the Houston Astros. Uh, Seth Johnson was the Rays' number six prospect per MLB pipeline. Chase McDermott was the Astros' number 12 prospect per MLB pipeline. And to all of this, I say... Bravo, Orioles. Bravo to the birds. The Orioles trading of Trey Mancini is to be celebrated. And not because it is good for the O's to have rid themselves of Mancini. Trey Mancini is a good guy and a good hitter. Uh, His comeback from missing all of the 2020 season due to having stage three colon cancer was tremendous. Uh, Mancini, this past November, winning the American League Comeback Player of the Year award for the 2021 season, was well-deserved. Mancini, at the time of the trade, had an OPS plus for the 2022 regular season of 114. 100 is league average. 114 is good. Mancini had been a key offensive player for an Orioles team that was a stunning 51 and 51 and three games behind the Rays for the American League's third wild card spot. But that's the thing. The O's are doing well. Their rebuild is working. And the rebuild is a function of an approach. An all in on analytics total teardown approach installed by executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias. Contrary to what some have said, the Orioles' surprising success in the 2022 season was never reason not to trade Trey Mancini. The success was reason to stay the course, stick to the process, and in fact, double down on the process because the process is working. And the process clearly suggested trading a player in Trey Mancini for whom the 2022 season is his age 30 season and final season of team control. Now, he's on a one-year contract with a mutual option for the 2023 season, but you get the idea. Uh, To say nothing, by the way, of Mancini being limited defensively. As sad as it is to see Trey Mancini go, every O's fan listening to this right now should feel even better about the state of the team with this trade. This trade was reflective of a conviction of an adherence to a process that is working. You know, Mancini netted two decent pitching prospects from two very well-run organizations in the Rays and Astros. The trade is further proof of Mike Elias being what you need him to be, and that is a cold-blooded killer as a GM. That's what you want in your GM, a cold-blooded killer. Uh, Here was Mike Elias on late Monday afternoon in a virtual press conference on the trade of Trey Mancini. This is certainly a uh, very weighty trade uh, for for us, given everything that that, um, has transpired the last few years, um, everything that Trey has meant to this organization since having been drafted. 
um, and what is happening um, with our organization, both in the major and minor leagues right now. Um, there are a lot of considerations that, that go into uh, making trades, especially this time of year. Um, I can't, uh, you know, describe to you the uh, deliberation that it has gone into this team's approach to the trade deadline in general, but also this trade in particular. And I think that the bottom line is this is an organization for which uh, we feel a window, a championship window is opening. And we have an opportunity to seek players at this point in time that may contribute to that window and the pursuit of multiple playoff appearances over the next several years here in Baltimore. And part of the reason our division is so difficult is the teams that are in our division have done such a spectacular job over the last decade of balancing present, future, near-term, long-term considerations um, with their moves. And uh, it's important for us to do the same thing. Um, I think that um, when a, a player um, is is a, a, a free agent in, in nine weeks, um, you have to consider opportunities to bring in um, high upside talent that has a has the potential to contribute many years down the road. Um, and that's what we see in these two pitchers, um, Seth Johnson in particular from the Rays, um, you know, we view and the industry is viewed at times as a, as a top 100 talent um, and unfortunately is undergoing an injury right now, but I think that's what has made him available. Um, and Chase McDermott is uh, performing very well as a fourth round pick from the Astros in, in IA. He's in a bit of a hitter's environment there in Asheville, but his uh, strikeout numbers, his innings totals and his stuff um, point to a lot of future success. So I think we bolstered our pitching depth as an organization. Yeah, well said by Mike Elias. Uh, you know, Mike can be a little long-winded, okay? <laughs> he can go on and on, but he made a number of good points. Mike Elias is a smart guy. He knows what he's doing, and what he's doing is working. Not trading Trey Mancini would have been foolish. And remember, the O's can always re-sign Mancini this coming offseason as a free agent, assuming that'll be a free agent. Again, he's playing this season under a one-year contract with a mutual option for the 2023 season, but mutual options almost always result in the player becoming a free agent. Uh, by the way, did you see the troll tweet <laughs> by ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney shortly after the Trey Mancini trade? Uh, Buster has a thing against the O's. It's very odd, but very obvious. Buster has become to the O's what Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio has become to the commanders. Uh, Buster has constantly trashed the O's, especially for having a low payroll, even though that's part of the rebuild. That's part of the process, Buster, a process that is working. Well, Buster on Monday afternoon tweeted the following off the trade of Trey Mancini. Quote, Trey Mancini was the Orioles' highest paid player. They save about $2.5 million by dealing him now for a couple of A-ball pitching prospects. End quote. Okay, that was Buster Olney's tweet, and that is the exact voice in which he tweeted that tweet. But what a troll tweet by Buster Olney. Like, what is his problem with the O's? Uh, I, I just don't get that. Buster's smarter than this. Like, why is he constantly poking at the O's for the low payroll when, again, the low payroll is part of the process? If the O's get good and then still aren't spending money, 
then you can trash him. But we're not at that point just yet. Uh, anyway, the O's on Monday night did play a game, and the O's won in dominant fashion, a 7-2 win at the Texas Rangers in game one of a three-game series, as the O's, despite trading Trey Mancini, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's for this 2022 regular season now, 52 and 51, including 38 and 27 since a 14 and 24 start. And the O's now are a mere two and a half games behind both the Tampa Bay Rays and Seattle Mariners for the American League's second and third wildcard spots. One more time, the process is working. Uh, big games on Monday night. For three Orioles in particular, Adley Rutschman, Cedric Mullins, and Ryan Mountcastle. Adley Rutschman on Monday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter. Three for four with an RBI double, another double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Rutschman in the top of the first had a single to center field. Rutschman in the Orioles three-run second drew a one-out five-pitch walk. Rutschman in the Orioles two-run fourth had an opposite field RBI double to the left center field gap for a 5-0 Orioles lead. Rutschman in the top of the six had a leadoff double to right field on an 0-2 pitch. Adley Rutschman now in his major league career, uh, and it is a career that, of course, started this season, 56 regular season major league games, 20 doubles. He has been a doubles machine lately. Uh, Cedric Mullins on Monday night. He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, two for four with a solo homer an RBI single, and a walk. Uh, Mullins in the Orioles, one run first, a leadoff opposite field home run near the left field foul pole for a one nothing Orioles lead. Now, this homer was what you call a Globe Life Field homer. Uh, that is the Texas Rangers home ballpark, Globe Life Field. Uh, the homer went just a projected 300 36 feet per stat cast. That was it, 336. But still, a homer is a homer. Uh, Mullins in the Orioles, three runs second, had a one-out RBI single up the middle for a 2-0 Orioles lead. And Mullins in the Orioles, two-run fourth, drew a leadoff, a six-pitch walk, despite having been down in the count at one point, 1-2. And Ryan Mountcastle, who has been struggling lately, he had a good game on Monday night. Uh, Mountcastle, as the Orioles starting first baseman at number four batter, two for five with an RBI double and an RBI single. Uh, Mountcastle in the Orioles, three runs second, a one-out RBI single through the left side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for a 4 nothing Orioles lead. And Mountcastle in the Orioles, two-run fourth, a one-out RBI double off the left field wall for a 6 nothing Orioles lead, despite having been down to the count of one point. 1-2. A uh, good start on Monday night for Spencer Watkins. Uh, Watkins in this 7-2 win at the Rangers on Monday night. One run in six innings, five strikeouts versus no walks. So he gave up five hits, a homer, and four singles. 88 pitches, 55 strikes versus 33 balls. Spencer Watkins has been pretty good for the O's this season. 14 major league starts in the 2022 regular season ERA of 380. And the O's on Monday night only used one reliever, uh, Keegan Aiken. One run in three innings with three strikeouts. So a nice job by him. Now, with Trey Mancini now gone, the O's have replaced him on the Major League roster with Yusniel Diaz. Uh, the O's on Monday afternoon recalled outfielder Yusniel Diaz from AAA Norfolk. Uh, this is notable because Diaz was one of the five players who the O's acquired from the Los Angeles Dodgers for third baseman slash shortstop Manny Machado in July 
2018. Now, the Manny Machado trade really has not netted much for the O's. So the O's did get pitcher Dean Kramer in the Machado trade, but not much else has come from that trade. We'll see what happens here with Yusniel Diaz. But this season already is Diaz's age 25 season, and it's not like he's been killing it for Norfolk this season. Yusniel Diaz, 145 plate appearances for Norfolk this season, OPS of just 677. Game two for the O's at the Rangers is on Tuesday night at 8.05. Jordan Lyles is scheduled to be the Orioles starting pitcher, but uh, he would appear to be a candidate to be traded on Tuesday. So we shall see. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 368. We'll feature a lot on the Commanders off Tuesday's padded practice. What will be the team's first padded practice of 2022 training camp? Also on the show, a lot on the Nationals and Orioles with the MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. What more is coming from the Nats and O's. Tuesday could be a monumental day, especially for the Nats in their rebuild. Uh, Also, we have games for the Nats and O's on Tuesday night. The Nats on Tuesday night at 7.05 have game two of their three-game series against the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. Who knows (laughs) what the Nats lineup will look like. The O's on Tuesday night at 8.05 have game two of their three-game series at the Texas Rangers. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do, which is just pull his mouth. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.